to the end of a book that you really liked, and then you're like, man, I want to go find one like that. And you, you kind of just try to find the same kind of book because you're just, it was so interesting. Amazon has figured this out. You know, they always give you suggestions about what is similar to what you're, what you're already looking at. Um, and I, so I had that kind of experience uh, recently uh, with, with you. Um, not necessarily with you, but we just spent 21 weeks studying the stories they told about Jesus in the book of Acts. We studied the first sermons, those, those sermons first preached, recorded in the book of Acts that told the story of Jesus, of his crucifixion, and then his resurrection and his ascension. And so after 21 weeks of thinking a lot about stories, the story we tell of Jesus, that essential gospel story, I just started wondering what other stories are being told in the Bible? Like, where else are God's people talking about the key things about their story that make them the people of God? Like, where, where, where are those places in the Bible where they're doing that? I mean, we know that after the Exodus, Moses breaks out in a song. And that song is all about telling the story of how God just delivered His people from Egypt. That's a place. That's a one of those places where a story is told. Well, as I got looking, as I just sat interested, kind of trying to find something similar to what we just did for 21 weeks, I discovered, just stumbled into, uh, knowing that they existed in the Psalms, but not always remembering what the Psalm number is, this three-part song in the book of Psalms. It's really three psalms, and it, it, they, are a, they are a unit. So it's Psalm 104, 105, and 106. And they go together, and they tell the story of God's people. And I thought, ah, that'd be fun to do. Just do it for five weeks. Don't need to make this, you know, don't make, need to make this a 40-week series. Like, let's just five weeks, let's walk through these three psalms that are put together as a unit where God's people would sing their story. So let me just summarize what's going to happen over the next five weeks. Here's what I think is happening in Psalm uh, 104, 105, and 106. They make up a three-part song that tells about God's greatness in creation, His faithfulness to His people, the wickedness of their rebellion, and the hope of salvation. That's what's going on in these three psalms that make up one big song. Uh, this is gonna, and I thought too that just as walking through the stories of Jesus, walking through these songs—that is, l- listening in, studying how the Israelites would sing their story—we as Christians might learn something about how we tell our story, maybe how we sing our story. Now listen, the sermon series title is just a play on words. I have no desire or intention to do any singing. I don't have any intention to do any singing on this stage. I won't do any singing when I'm at home. This is to bless you and my house. I'm not singing. But it's just a play here. Sing your story. It's the idea of how we tell our story, particularly as Christians. And I think these three psalms are going to teach us something about what we need to be singing about. Something about our story as Jesus followers. So, with that said, we're going to dive into the whole of Psalm 104. Now, if you go 
uh, in the Scriptures and you look at these three psalms, you're going to notice they're big. These are big psalms. Um, th- th- there are a lot of verses here. And so you might be wondering, are we really going to do this verse by verse? Absolutely, we're going to do it verse by verse. We're going to go verse by verse. Now, that doesn't mean we're studying every verse, but I do want to read every verse. We should never forget that the Psalms are the songbook of Israel. They were Jesus' songbook. There's a well-known Christian pastor scholar, Tim Keller. He actually has a devotional through the Psalms called the Songbook of Jesus. It's a good devotional, just if that's one of those things that you're like taking notes. Ah, wow, interesting devotion. The Songbook of Jesus by Tim Keller. It's a good, it's a, it's, it's a good one. It will walk you through the Psalms. But we shouldn't forget Jesus would have been a man going to synagogue, learning over the years how to sing the song of his people. And so we're going to kind of step into his songbook and learn something. So that's what's happening in these three Psalms. So uh, we're going to read every verse this morning, but let's do it in a way that we can bring some order. This is all going to be a lot going on. So take a look. Here it is. This is where we're going to go this morning. Um, the theme for Psalm 104 is that the Lord is creator and sustainer. So if you, like had, to, if you had to walk away with something, that's it. That's it. That's what we want to walk away with. So Psalm 104 is all about He is creator and sustainer. Now, how do, the, how, how do, how, how do God's people sing that Sing about God as creator and sustainer. Well, they do it in all kinds of ways. Here's the list. Here's what we're, how we're going to break it down. We're, they sing of, we see, and, and you can see verses here, but just let's walk through the list. They're going to sing about His uh, heavenly dwelling place. They're going to sing of His establishment of the land and sea. His provision for creation. His sustaining power over night and day. His wonderful creatures. And His sustaining power for all creation. And then we're going to end it with His glory. Singing of His glory with joy. Alright. So that's what we're going to do. So the large part of the next five to seven minutes is walking through the psalm. Just right through those categories. Okay? So take a look. Let's put the next one up. If you could put, Let's put that next one. So here's how you're going to see it. Now you can read through with a physical Bible in front of you, but on the screen I've just, instead of putting Psalm 104 verses 1 through 4, put the heading that we're sitting with right here. So these, next, these verses are about singing about His heavenly dwelling place. So that's where we're going to go. Uh, and I want you to feel the length of this psalm. Remember, I am, I am not scared of you being bored. Now, I am scared of you falling asleep. Don't fall asleep. But you can be bored. You can be bored. It's a long psalm. My hope is that in our time together, you, your imagination is sparked with the Scriptures and you begin to take it in and find them alive and you stay awake and energetic. If nothing else, I'll do that for you. Here it is. Psalm 104. We pick up verse 1. This is about His heavenly dwelling. Verse 1 through 4. I praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor, majesty. Now the Lord wraps Himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of His upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds His messengers flames of fire, His servants. Now you know we could sit there the rest of the morning. But I want to grab the whole of the psalm. 
this whole song, okay? Here it is. We go in now. Let's look at the establishment of the land and sea. So now from his heavenly dwelling, he begins establishing land and sea. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. He covered it with watery depths as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross, and never again will they cross the earth. Now, provision for creation. Provision for creation. He makes springs of water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys squinch their thirst. The birds of the sky, they nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There are birds. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home and the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags or a refuge for the hyrax. Now, it's sustaining power. So now, now he's just not giving provision, provision for creation. Now, he's, he has sustaining power over night and day. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun, the sun knows when to go down. You're, you bring darkness and it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and they seek their food from God. The sun rises. They steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. And then people go out to their work, to their labor, until evening. Ah, now, let's just talk about wonderful creatures now. They're all part of this creation. Verse 24, How many are your wonderful works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro in Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Side note, God doesn't mind play. He doesn't mind play. He created something to go play. Verse 27, now there's sustaining power for all of creation. Watch this. Or listen to this. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and they return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Not past tense, present tense. Sustaining it right now. And then the last section, they sing of His glory with joy. It's kind of where we started. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. See, He looks at the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May the meditation of my heart be pleasing to Him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. There's a lot going on there. 
You thought that going to the zoo was exciting? This is a psalm that gets, that, that sparks our view of a big world where God is sustaining and keeping things in order. Now, just like any song, there are pieces of any song that you kind of like. You, there's a note or a melody, and you, you often want to get to that point. I don't know if you've ever heard the song Kyrie by Mr. Mister. I have played that here in this room one time during a sermon. Do you know the song I'm talking about? Kyrie? No, maybe not. That's fine. There's a point in that song. Really exciting. Gives me lots of energy. Fine. Just imagine a song you like. Lots of energy. There's like this point, this note that just gets me. And I, I sometimes will speed up just to get that part of the song because just, it just energizes me. I find the same thing happening here in this psalm. There are some notes I'm hearing. There's a piece of the song, a part of the melody, that I just, I just want to pull it out and just look at it. Or maybe listen to it. And so there's just really, there's two, there's two key notes. If I, if, again, if you walk, if you just, if you go with me with the metaphor here, two notes that I just want to pull out and highlight. The first one is this. Take a look here. The invisible creates the, vis- the visible. The invisible creates the visible. So something that's tracking through this song, it's almost like the melody that is playing throughout, just right just right there behind the scenes that I want to pull out is the idea that everything we're seeing, what does it do? All of those physical things, all those visible things that the, that the people of Israel are looking at, it drives them to praise the God who is invisible. You see what's happening here. They, they literally are taking their eyesight, the things they see visible, and they're driving than to praise the invisible. You see, you, you see, the, you see the, the direction, the flow here. You look at the invisible and praise the invisible. It is the invisible that created the visible. All right. It's very important. Paul actually picks this up. Now, would this be a surprise? A man who was trained as a Jew. A man who also sung this songbook. You know what he says in his letter to the Romans as he's trying to describe the human story? Well, he picks up this, this, the, the, that same note in this Psalm 104, and he just he makes it, uh, uh, he, he takes that note and he just plays it for all of humanity. Take a look, Romans 1.20. Here's what he says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, now his eternal his eternal power and divine nature, they've been clearly seen and being understood for what has been made, uh, being, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God created things visible so that we would understand the invisible. It was the invisible that created it. Now, if you continue to read Romans 1, you're going to see the human story is uh, we ignored all of that and we went our own way and tried to be our own God. That's, that's the rest of the story. And then we're going to get to Jesus. This is going to be a great story. But for our purposes, there he is, he is driving at something we are seeing in Psalm 104. And I think that the echo is right there in Romans 1.20. So let's go with the... I just want to now just give, a, give a, a, some attention to that second thing I see in the psalm. That second note, that melody in Psalm 104. It's this. That the Lord sustains creation each day. Now... At face value, I think that just, we might respond with, duh. Like, what was your other option? 
But I think this is very important because there are some lines in the song, some notes that really do grab grab my imagination. They make me go, that's not how I would talk, talk about things. Here are some of my favorite lines in Psalm 104. Here it is. This, I didn't even put verses with it. The lions roar for their prey and they seek their food from God. If you just stop, I know you can keep reading, but have you ever watched uh, um, a, a nature documentary? I'm sure you've watched pretty, pl- plenty of them. And which are, what are the ones we like to watch the most? The big cats ones, because they're the ones that are like on the prowl. They're hunting. It's death. It's speed. It's race. Maybe not. Trudy's looking at me. Odd. Okay. All right. Maybe it's just me. Maybe something's wrong. Okay. All right. Whatever the case, I like them. And and so you know what? I've never heard the. And it's typically a British narrator. Do you know what I've never heard the narrator say? That when the lion's roaring, he's seeking his food from God. Never heard that. Never heard that. Never heard a narrator of a nature documentary describe animals as seeking their food from their creator. Never. But the psalmist says that's exactly what's going on. When the lion's roaring, he's seeking things from God. You ever thought of an animal seeking things from God? I don't. But Israel had a depth. They had a richness of language that they understood when they looked out on the world that the animals are calling out so that God would sustain them. Oh, now let's go with those other lines. He makes grass grow for the cattle. I thought farmers make the grass grow. But here God does. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. What a, what a beautiful image. The birds are being cared for by God every day. That when they, when they build their nests, it is God who gave them somewhere to land and nest. He gave them the waters. Now, don't you remember, this is Jesus' songbook. It's a book he would have been singing from, from an early age. So, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount and we hear Jesus talking about how God cares for us, it's probably no surprise that he picks birds to describe God's care for you. Where was he getting that? The echoes of the songbook. Here it is. Matthew 6, 5 through 26. Ah, Psalm 104 sounds really similar to this. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Ah. It's all right there. Okay. So this psalm, this psalm says a lot. It, 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 you see that the big theme is God is creator. The Lord is the creator and sustainer. There it is. Now, in our short time left, let's make some application. Now, now application time can go lots of different directions. This morning, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to just walk the same road we just traveled, but I'm going to come at it from a different angle, and I'm going to go deep really quick, and I'm going to bring some very... Um, dense quotes into the picture, and then we're going to end with the next step that talks about something you can do today, something I was hearing at 4.30 this morning. Here we go. Here's where I think we drive for some application. I think the application is that the invisible creates the, uh, the invisible creates the visible, and the Lord sustains creation each day. <laughs> Doesn't look too novel, does it? Kind of like we just were there. I think... The application is that we understand the reality of those two things. 
And the reason I make this application where it, gets, it begins to get on the ground for us is because it is not a given today, for example, that it is the invisible that creates the visible. It is not a given that people believe that it is the invisible that creates the visible. About, about 120 years ago, G.K. Chesterton, many of you may know him, a lay theologian and a literary critic, uh, a British uh, intellectual, um, he wrote something that described what he was seeing in the modern age. Again, 120 years ago, here's what he wrote. He said, the great human dogma then is that the wind moves the trees. The great human heresy is that the trees move the wind. Now, I know on face value that might be a little confusing. So Eugene Peterson comes along and he, he, he took this and he just he put it into layman terms. Here's, what, here's how we understand what, you, uh, uh, what Chesterton's saying. Take, take a look at this quote. Here it is. This is one of my uh, favorites. Yeah, i got a lot of favorites. Uh, let's go to this next slide. Oh, no. Are we... Is it, is it broke, Carol? Don't tell me. Okay. Okay. I mean, I would have pulled up my phone and I would have read you that quote, but it's better this way. All right. Chesterton is saying this, that there are two kinds of people in the world. When trees are waving wildly in the wind, one group of people thinks that it is the wind that moves the trees. The other group thinks that the motion of the trees creates the wind. The consensus has always held that the invisible is behind and gives energy to the visible. But the modern, the modern majority assumes that what they see and hear and touch is basic reality, and it generates whatever people can come up with that cannot be verified with the senses. They think that the visible accounts for the invisible. There's a, there's a wide consensus, particularly in the medical community, that we are, we are the makeup of the chemistry in our brain. It is, it is neuroscience that would say that you are your brain. That, that to understand your emotions, we need to understand where in the brain things might be misfiring or firing correctly. We have this understanding that it is the things we can touch and feel that create other things. And so there's this idea that God does not exist. It is the evolution of, of human beings in flesh, in their biology, that eventually that came to the point where they began to create ideas outside of themselves and they created a God. Really, religion is just a human construct. Anything out there in the world of ideas was created from these, these evolved bipeds that finally advanced to creating concepts. But if you want to understand the human, you need to understand neuropathways in the brain. That's how we understand who we are. We are fundamentally biological. And the, and the answers to life are biological. Listen, I'm, I, I sometimes hit on self-help books, but there are a lot of good self-help books out there. There's a lot of good books on business and, um, and, and for entrepreneurs and growing successful organizations. But most of them, most of them take evolutionary biology as the baseline. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. Maybe you have too. That when describing why we do certain things, 
a scholar or a journalist will take me back to when I was running from lions millions of years ago. And because we were running from lions millions of years ago, we have something biological, chemical in the brain that now gets triggered when different things happen in our modern world. You ever heard anything like that? You ever been told that some of the reasons you do what you do is because you were running from lions thousands and thousands of years ago? Now listen, evolutionary biology is a very complex subject. And I am not right now making a statement on evolution. What I am making a statement on is the idea that we are fundamentally biological beings who then in our advancement have created everything invisible in our advanced brains. We have this idea that we start with the visible and then everything visible Everything visible accounts for what's invisible. That's as silly as saying that the leaves on the tree make hurricanes. That's ridiculous. No one thinks that way. When the leaves are blowing, you know wind is creating it. And so we don't come up with the idea of God out of nowhere. It is because we were created by the invisible and we are visible. We should not mix the order up. And when we do, we become people who begin to look at leaves rustling around on a tree and think that they are creating the wind. No. We were created. Now, the complexity of that creation and what you do with Genesis 1 and 2 and all of that, now that's for a different time. I have no problem with a six-day creation. But I know there are many believers that want to have long periods of time in that creation, and, and they are evolutionary biologists. But for me, i got no problem with six-day creation, and I can land there. But my point is this larger issue of thinking that we are fundamentally visible, and reality is only what we can touch and feel. No. God is the creator. And we, gotta, we have to be there. All right. Second thing. No, don't go to the next slide. I don't even know why I look there. I'm so sorry. I got ahead of myself. Don't. Let's, I don't want to. I, I, I need to. I need to set you up for this. Gosh. <sighs> got so excited about that first application point. The second thing is that is, is that idea that God sustains us every day. Now, this might be an odd one to think through, but let me tell you honestly. I just want to. Just let me tell. You, I, this may be you, but it is for me. The reason I struggle with the idea that God brought the sun up this morning is because I, if you if you just drove all the way down. I would think that'd be pretty boring. It'd be pretty boring to do the same thing every day. Like, I want some variety. And I don't just, I just don't think of God being in the minutiae, the boring minutiae of the sunrise every day. Or creating the same kind of flowers at the same time every year. Or creating every individual flower. I can barely keep my attention for an hour, and I get bored. Can you imagine creating the same thing over and over and over and over and over? At least people on an assembly line in factories, particularly in the Industrial Revolution, they could go home and go to sleep. Can you imagine if that's all you were doing is creating the same thing? That's kind of a tension inside of me. Is God really sustaining everything all the time? Like, is that really what's happening? Well, let's, I want to lean on G.K. Chesterton one more time. This is a quote I have. It's a longer quote, but I'm going to give you the, the middle of it. G.K. Chesterton talks about the idea that we've got the wrong view of what, of what creates boredom. He actually thinks God is infinitely 
excited about all that he's doing and he's never getting bored. I want to read now a quote on why he says this. So here it is. And then we'll drive it to this application point. He says this, It might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children. When they find some game or joke that they especially enjoy, a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess. Through excess. That means they have all this energy. They just keep going. Not absence of life. Because children have a bounding vitality, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. I mean, at this point, we should pause. Right? Holy moly. Like, part of, me, part of the excitement of getting out of the toddler stage with Micah is that we don't have to do the same thing over and over and over and over. Like, let's change it up. Kids. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Chesterton does because they're so, they're so full of life. Let's go here. I'm at the bottom here. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For, let's keep going, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but He's never got tired of making them. Wow. Not only do I think God is bored, I also think that the laws of nature just make everything new. Like, I don't think I'm a deist. That is, a person that thinks that God's like a watchmaker. He creates and then just kind of lets it go like a watch. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not a deist, but functionally, I just, I just think that the laws of nature are what make things go often. The sun came up this morning because the earth is spinning on its axis and, and it's going around the sun. And we're going to get a morning every morning. But what Chesterton's getting at, and he goes later on in the quote to say, we should never assume that it's automatic. It might be that every time the sun comes up, it's a divine encore. God is saying, do it again. Do it again. What a picture. God is so full of life that He never gets bored. He's more like a child than us. At one point, Chesterton says that our Father in Heaven is full of infancy. The power of infancy. And we, though, in our sin, have grown old. And He is younger than us. What a way of saying that. Man. And so my point here is I want to stretch the way we think. Could it be that the reason the sun came up this morning is because God said to the sun, come up. And He loved watching it happen. And that the reason that flowers come up all over the world every spring is because God's creating each one. Because He's never getting tired doesn't make it sound so crazy now that when the lion roars, God's giving him food. The point here is the Lord is creator and sustainer. All right, let's drive it to a next step. Next step is this. When you hear birds singing, remember your story. That the Lord created you and is sustaining you now. So I want to drive in this next step to something very personal. At this point, all we have done for 30 minutes is talk about everything out there. 
For the next step, I want you to remember that not only did he create the flowers and make the sun come up, you woke up this morning because you had breath. And it wasn't automatic you'd have breath. We just assume there'll be oxygen in this room. It might be that God said, now oxygen, flow, be there. I want George to breathe this morning. And he got up. He breathes right now. He just breathed. I knew, I knew it when I used your name. I knew I was going to get something. All right. And so let's, this morning, so this morning at 4.30, when I got up, the birds were already singing. And because I'd already created the sermon, you know what I thought? I am created. I'm standing. God's sustaining me. And the birds are reminding me of that. So I'm just kind of leaning on Jesus here. Look at the birds of the air. And what I'm saying is, remember that all that stuff we just talked about that's out there, this big, this big story, this even big application, it gets very personal. And in the end, we should never forget. It is Jesus. While you were dead in your sins, it was Jesus who made the move. And it is by grace you have been saved. It is His grace that sustains us. When He went to that cross, He died for our sins because we sure needed help. And then when he came back to life, he destroyed the power of death and now he's giving away his life to his people. That's our story. He created us. And as Jesus' followers, he made us new in Jesus. And he's sustaining us by his spirit. That's our story. And that's what we sing. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its strength. Thank you for its holiness. Thank you that you preserved it all these years. And thank you that we can study it. And then we can have application right where we're living. And thank you for creating us. Literally, thank you for creating me, Jason, and Terry, and Jenny, and Trudy. Thank you for creating us. And thank you for sustaining us. And so let that be our song this week. When we hear the birds, we'll thank you. And together we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.